0: We made it happen. Jimmy was an incredible success. I don't know where he is, I gotta find him. Gosh, I don't know, oh, oh, oh.
1: Oh yeah, George, George, oh, George, George. We did it, brother. Yes, we did. did. thanks to Dan, you know what? And in the ring with Dan and with Benny. Hey, brother, man, hey, he's about the most cat. I just love him to death. I love you. Thanks for having me. Hey, you're the best. I'm telling you, brother.
2: In the Ring with Dan and Benny. Yeah. We love you. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah.
0: Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Dan and Benny in the Ring. I'm Dan Spaschiano, joined, as always, by the original Long Island Iced B himself, Benny Scala. Benny, how you doing, buddy?
2: Dan, I'm back in Florida, the Sunshine State, or as I like to call it, Satan's Microwave. <laughs> and uh, I'd like to point out my shirt from the uh, the Don Ho collection, actually because we're a wrestling podcast. I, I guess it should be our, the Dean Ho collection. And, uh, you know, I thought, like, with this nice Hawaiian shirt that uh, a lay would be a nice accessory so i went out looking for a lay on my lunch hour oh no. and as usual i drew a blank and that's the story of my life i can't even buy a lay
0: <laughs> what, what kind of <laughs> what kind of bottle of tiny bubbles that shirt come with benny <laughs> our uh for for our younger audience have your parents explain that joke to you the tiny bo- yeah absolutely <laughs> you know actually funny uh funny side note i was in hawaii probably 20 25 years ago and went to the don ho dinner hour it was like a variety show that he hosted live okay i actually got to see him for probably rare for somebody under the age of 50 but right we, we had a good time with it <laughs> well benny we uh we always say what's old is new again we've got a returning guest this evening let's tell everybody who uh who's on the line with us
2: well, Dan, one of the best things about doing this show, aside from the lucrative pay and the the screaming thong, throng of maybe thong of women <laughs> admirers, is interviewing great stars from my youth. And even though this our guest was a heel, uh, and I wasn't a fan of heels back in the day, save you know maybe one or two, this man was so unique that I couldn't find it in my heart to hate him. And after chatting with him when he was on our show a couple of months ago. I, I found it very easy to love him, actually. And uh, backed by popular demand, the shaman of sick power. The one, the only, Bugsy McGraw. Bugsy, welcome to Dan and Benny in the Ring.
1: Oh, well, it's good to be welcomed. Praise, <laughs> praise God, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> the shaman. I don't know if I've ever been called the shaman before. Hey, man. I've been called a lot of things,
2: but <laughs> it's never been Shaman that I know of. Eh? It's all yours now. Ben,
0: ben, Benny has made it his life's mission on this show to give new nicknames to our guests. So. Yeah. A couple of them have stuck through the years. Yeah. Ron Shaw, still the Earl of Upsets. Yeah. Well, Bugsy, we... uh. We unfortunately have to kind of start the interview on a sad note. I mean, we had you on back in May and beginning of May. And since that time, the wrestling world, we've mourned the passing of superstar Billy Graham, the Iron Sheik, uh, Darren Drozdov, Peggy Lee Leather. And most recently uh, on our end, Mike Mike Mantar Halleck, who was actually scheduled to be on our show within days of his passing. Um, I know you've had a long time. And storied career, and you've probably pro- crossed paths with several of the greats and, and several of the people I mentioned. Do you have any uh, stories to share from from those names? Well, yeah,
1: Superstar Graham. Let me see. So, who else? Uh,
0: yeah, did you name the, uh the, the Iron Sheik.
1: Oh, the Iron Sheik. Yeah, I remember him. And uh, I never was around him a lot. I was Superstar Graham. Uh, Where he got his first break was in San Francisco, and I was there then when he came in and he got the first break of his career, yeah. So I remember him from there, then I saw him, and then he came into New York when I was there, and he had, uh, as far as I can remember, he had a lot of success in New York, and, uh, what else he's, oh yeah, you know, at, at the same time when he was in New York, he was training for the, um, I think the, uh, uh, Mr. Universe, uh, the, uh, contest. So he was, you know, he was lean, you know, he was lean and well muscled. He had a great physique. He was a little light on the legs, but, you know, besides that, he looked really good.
0: <clears throat> yeah. Bugsy, yeah, when, yeah. Go ahead, Benny.
2: I was going to say, uh, Bugsy, when when he won the title from Bruno, were you in New York then? And when you were in uh, your heyday in Florida in the late 70s, early 80s, was he there?
1: Uh, no, I for Florida i don't recall him in all in florida because so i was there uh, 1979 all of 1979 well i started in uh, in in in, in the february of 1979 from so all of 79 all of 80 um all of eighty one and then after that uh, I went to Texas. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think he came in probably right after you left. In Florida. Yeah. Because he was working a deal with Kevin Sullivan.
1: Yeah, Kevin Sullivan, yeah, I was with Kevin, I was uh he was in New York at the same time I was there. Okay uh he was also he was also in florida i was with him up in the carolinas too
2: kevin was a lot different in florida than he was in new york he was the the ultimate like what i call white meat baby face clean cut guy in new york and he was a whole different character down in florida
1: yeah he did the uh you know the whatever whatever term he used him you know i'm trying to think. But you know he uh, he portrayed the evil one or whatever it was right. uh, when he was when he was in Florida. Yeah.
2: <clears throat> he he never used the term Satan or satanic, but I, right. I mean that was the obvious inference.
1: Yeah, I forget what he what he called himself, and then he had the valet, which um, he later married, I forget her name,
2: but yeah, you know she woman. was a woman. Nancy Benoit, Nancy Sauvin,
1: right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh she well they got a divorce later and then she uh married uh, I forget his name too, but he was a champion up in uh yeah uh, for Ves man, there for a while and and they lived in Atlanta and he went crazy and he That's killed her fun. and the child and mm-hmm. then he killed himself. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm, I'm curious. You mentioned, uh, when you were talking about crossing paths with some people, you, you said, you know, obviously Billy Graham got his start. Did when you first crossed paths, he would have been younger. Um, did you, could you kind of tell like, this guy's going to be a huge deal? Did, did he kind of get that from the beginning or did you not see that until later?
1: Superstar Graham?
0: Yeah. Uh, well, I'll tell you what.
1: <clears throat> he had a, you know, he had that, he had that physique and he, uh, on the interview, he could talk fairly well. In the ring, he was mm, average. He wasn't what you call, you know, like, uh, he, he was Not, he was not a ring general, that's for sure. Right. But, but, you know, he got over. See, that's the main thing. You know, he got over. And he got over because of that physique and, and the way he talked. And, yeah, he did well. You know, I mean, he drew money there in San Francisco. They liked him. He was working. Well, we were working for Roy Shire. And, you know. Shire liked him and, uh, the guy that was helped, uh, that was helping to run the show was Pat Patterson and he liked him. And so, you know, he did well there and he did very well in New York. So, uh, yeah, you know, you can, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to knock, uh, success. You know what I'm saying?
0: Right. right.
2: Well, Bugsy, um, I, on Facebook, posted something. I want to get your take on this because it's really, I think it's really important. Uh, I posted something. for There was a, an advertisement for WrestleMania 40, which is going to be in Philadelphia next year. And the top tickets were priced at $10,000. And I'm not even sure if that's for one night or both nights. And, you know, we always hear about how Vince McMahon has made wrestling, quote, unquote, better. And my my question is always, who is it really better for? Is is it better for the fans? Um, you know, is it is it better for the wrestler? I think it's really actually better for Vince for Vince McMahon, you know. And maybe like the handful of wrestlers who wrestle for him are you know very very wealthy. But um, so I'm I'm really curious your take on that. Like, is it really better as a wrestling fan? Was it better? Is it better for me to pay ten thousand bucks to see Roman Reigns once? Or is it better? Was it better for me to pay like seven dollars and see Bugsy McGraw fifty-two times a year?
1: Well, I, you know, then I would. <clears throat> it would depend on what on what side of the fence you're on. If you're going to say the fan, or the, the fan, fan yeah, from
2: the fan point of view, are we better off now or were we better off then?
1: Uh, I would say then because you know you. You had something that you could relate to week after week. You had you had something to talk about every week. See, you know, like I said before, when when we were talking before about when Vince, you know, like he does these uh, large shows, it's like an event. It's a happening. With us, we were constantly, you know, we would tell his story. We, and, and, uh, it's a week out, you know. We would tell that story, you know.
2: But it was also, I mean, it, you know, ten thousand bucks is going to break a lot of people's budget, or it's going to max out a lot of credit cards. Where well, back then, even like seven bucks back then, if it was even that, it was very affordable to you know to bring even like a couple of your kids and and come week after week.
1: Yeah, that you know that was the deal. You know, you could. You could bring the whole, you could bring the whole family. I mean, if you try to bring the whole, if you try to bring the whole family now, it's gonna be expensive.
0: You
2: know? yeah. yeah, unless you want to donate a kidney or something like
0: that, <laughs> right? Not, not, not to mention, you know, WrestleMania is a two-day, weekend-long spectacle now with some side stuff on Friday night so you're not just paying a few hundred dollars up to thousands and thousands of dollars per ticket you're also getting a hotel for the weekend which you know they're going to be marked up cuz it's a big event and it's just it, the whole the whole thing i mean it wouldn't take much to like benny said drop 20 grand for the weekend you know or or you could spend 25 bucks take your family to the wrestling show and get a hot dog
1: yeah yeah with uh you know with, yeah some cheese and mustard dude
0: it's actually funny cheese and mustard hot dog is what i pay benny with to do the show so it works out yeah, <laughs> uh.
1: yeah see if, so let me say something here because this because you know i've been i've been involved in uh, in my career because i was on a I was on the road for 20 years. I've been in, involved in a lot of riots. You know, now nowadays, you're not going to see any riots. You know no, what I'm saying? No. There's, there's no way you're going to see We We had, you know, because we had the fans involved. This was a weekly show, and we told the story. Week in and week out, we keep on telling the story, and the fans were involved this is like for instance when you know the wrestling shows they have now it's like coming to the state fair it's like once a year but it's you know it's there for a week but you know i mean it it, it, all it comes once a year so you know it's like and we used to tell stories i mean i've been in i've seen some some really huge riots and (laughs) see with riots here it is uh, I'll tell you, riots are one of two things. One, they're either really, really fearful, or one, they're really exciting and exhilarating. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They can be, they can be like, like when you're fight, you know, because without exaggeration, I mean, there was a few times that I had to fight for my life you know it's like okay it's on I either survive or I don't and I'm going to survive (laughs) so you go in there and and, you know like it's like after you survive a riot you kind of feel like boy that was an accomplishment you know I didn't get there was no extra pay on the riot so (laughs) (laughs) that's that's the thing
0: yeah We you know, that's perfect because what we mentioned before, uh that the professional wrestlers back in the sixties and seventies, they were like you said, they were as much a salesperson as a wrestler, as an in-ring performer. Um, and, and like you mentioned, the, the overwhelming majority of the revenue and sales tickets came from the character. I mean, you needed to convince the fans through your promos, interviews, through your in-ring work, you know, the the long the long since gone in-ring psychology telling a story in the match and, and it was that hard it was that was the worth that was what the fans paid their money to go see <clears throat> excuse me yeah well i yeah, mean exactly nowadays, right. oh, go ahead
1: no i just gotta say you're exactly right because for instance you you mentioned the characters and you know what the yeah how the fans you know you, you had to sell yourself yeah, besides the overall show yeah, and then what you did on the interview, for instance, when I, when I was in Florida, well, other places too, Too, I mean, it's like, I can think of a few places. If you can convince the fans, for instance, now I'm talking about the way I viewed it and and what I did too, if you can convince the fans that you're at least, you know, halfway crazy. When you have a riot, they're going to be, they will be afraid of you. They'll be afraid. Like, they, if this guy goes completely crazy, he's going to kill a few of us. <laughs> and, then, and then and then, also, like, for instance, yell in Florida. When I got on the interview, like, I never talked about wrestling. I thought, you know, because guys, so, you know, I mean, this is, this is an over, an over oversamples location, but, you know, a lot of guys that get on there, oh yeah, I have a tough opponent, we're going to have a tough match, it's going to be tough, but I'm going to, I'm going to be tougher than am I, you know, uh, to me, that sucks, you know, I mean, totally sucks, so I get on there, and I talk about, you know, I get into their minds, right, I get in there, and I start talking about about them watching me at home, you know, like, oh yeah, you're sitting there with your wife and children on the sofa watching me. Your wife's got her hair in cooler. She's got on the moo because she's, tire- <laughs> she's trying to hide that tire tube around her waist, you know, huh? And then you got your kids eating pizza on the floor, and here comes the dog, and he's dropping things on the floor, and it sure isn't pizza. And then you have to, and, 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 then you have your children looking at you and go, Daddy, what did you ever accomplish in life? And you want to scream, don't you, Jack? Yeah, you know <laughs> So you, you just get in their head like that and they, oh, they hate your guts then.
2: <laughs> Bugsy just described like half the population of Florida right, right then and there. <laughs> Bugsy, I, I, and before I before we run out of time, I want I wanted to say something. Bugsy McGraw didn't rent space in people's heads; he he owned that space. So <laughs> yeah, he, I, I wanted to say that before, like we ran out of time. But Bugsy, we we talked in our previous interview about uh, Bruno at, at great length, and but I wanted to circle back on a couple of points which I think made Bruno really unique. Um, you had mentioned, yeah. I believe, that he actually got you. Uh, a $500 weekly raise, and JJ Dillon uh, told a story about one time he refereed. I think it was at Boston Garden, a match between him and uh, Killer Kowalski, where JJ, as the referee, uh, had to get color. And uh, Bruno asked him about his payday, and and JJ, I guess, said, "Yeah, you know, he mentioned what he got paid." And he thought he was, you know, he was a bit disappointed. And Bruno actually went back to uh, uh, Vince McMahon and got him more money. And and Bruno actually discovered. A lot of the wrestlers, like he discovered George Steele, he discovered uh, Toro Tanaka, and many others. So I guess my point is that, and I wanted your take on this. Bruno was very unique. Not only was he, did he have the charisma and he had the crowd like in the palm of his hand, but he really understood the business and what you know what would be great for business. But then he also looked out for the other the other guys. And I, I mean, I, I was anybody else like Bruno in that regard?
1: Oh, trying to think, uh, you know, Bruno, you know, like I probably told you because that's how, you know, that's how I got the race. Cause he came to me when I was working in New York and after I had worked with him, because he really, you know, he really enjoyed that match we had. And then, yeah, he came to me and he says, you need to leave here. He says... He said, uh, uh, in the future, I want you to come back and I want you to work a program with me, but, 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 you, need, but, but you need to leave here. And he wanted to send you to Charlotte. So he went to, um, uh, he went to Vince and he told him, now this was Vince, he uh, senior. And so he went to Vince, and he told him. He said, "I'm going to." He said, "I'm going to send McGraw to Charlotte." Well, Vince went, "Oh no, no, no! We no, we we want to keep him. We really like him." So that's how it happened. He said, "Well, if you really like him, make him some money." And that's when I got that race,
2: Bugsy. Do you think like that would have been better off though if you did go to Caroline and came back, and you probably got to got a I would think you would have got a three-match series with Bruno at the Garden, which would have drew huge money.
1: Yeah, you know, um, actually, I have to tell you, sir, I think you're right. I probably should have gone to Charlotte. I should have been, went there as a heel and just because I could have made money there because I could, you know, because, uh, you know, I mean, really and truly, I, I knew how to work. I mean, I can, there, there, there was a few people, you know, that I considered ring generals and I considered myself one. Cause I like to control everything that went on because I, when I would work in the ring, I was unselfish. I worked for the match, not for me work for that match. Cause <clears throat> my, cause I told younger guys all the time. I said, Hey, look, Here's what you need to do. I said, if you want to get over, you want the people that came to the match as they're driving home to talk about you on their way home. Then you know you got them. You know, that's just one thing that I I would tell the younger guys. uh, The other thing I would tell them, I said, I don't care where you are. You can be in the garden, Boston Garden. Medicine Square Garden I said when you get in that ring that crowd I don't care if you have a sellout and you know with with Bruno and I we had a sellout we had over 23,000 in that crowd I said that crowd becomes one and you're one and it's one on one and they paid to see you you didn't pay to see them. You have control of that whole crowd. And if, they, and if you ever see it, it, as a wrestler, as a professional wrestler, if you ever get, the, if you ever get that mindset or that way of thinking, you're going to have success because you realize I'm in control here, not them. I, see, I never let that, ever, ever let the yeah, the crowd control me. Never. I always control them. That's
0: a fair point. Y- you know, y- you talk about the crowd reactions and-, and how things come and go. One of the things that changes a lot, especially crowd reactions today, is to champions. Uh, I mean, although we were talking about your time with Bruno, you never won a championship during your stay with the WWF, you won gold. Pretty much everywhere you went: Portland, San Francisco, <laughs> Vancouver, Australia, Maritimes, Texas, Mid-Atlantic, everywhere. Uh, but I mean, titles today pretty much meaningless props. We we had a an entire conversation on the Dan and Benny page about. Uh, the twenty-something titles per program now, um, but back then they were really the true measure of a territory wrestler. Uh, records show that you've won—you won a total of twenty-nine championships during your career. Do you have a, a particular title or championship that you're proudest of?
1: Oh, well, I don't know. I mean, it's like, uh, uh... There was a few, I was trying to think, like, when I was working in Vancouver, British Columbia, I was there for two years, and they had the Pacific Coast title, and I had that, and
0: there, there, I was the,
1: uh, no one in the history of professional wrestling ever came close to what I did in British Columbia. It's like, uh, <clears throat> I mean, I used to, <laughs> I remember, I can tell you some stories about that when I was up there and on the road in my car and, and I, and I'm traveling in British Columbia. So here came a cop behind me and he pulled me over. So, you know, I rolled down the window and I said, uh, what's wrong officer? He said, uh. Oh, there's nothing wrong. I, I just wanted to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> that was one of them right there. I can remember you. I can recall a few riots there. Well, you know, it's the same thing because you know the people thought I was crazy, and so if they tried to come in the ring, I you know the first thing I would do, I would just up and charge them. Well, they jump right off of the ring in a hurry because I would charge them, you know. I didn't care if they had a chair in their hand or whatever they had. i go for them right away, boy, and they just, they'd drop everything and run, you know. And we had a few riots there. I mean, one time, I don't know if I told you before, but this one riot we had, we went to, what was it? Clover, Cloverdale. It was up in Washington. The Southern part of Washington, I think, and, and I, but this was when I was working in Oregon, so I, and I had been hurt, and I hurt my ankle, and I was on crutches, and my ankle, you know, I was really hurt, you know I mean, it was I was in pain so, but so they they had me show up at the matches just to manage, right, so <clears throat> I show up and I'm outside the ring, and you know I mean I'm my usual self and anyway we ended up in a riot now here i am on the outside of the ring on crutches and here came the crowd so i'm trying to fight them off and some fan i don't know if i have that i don't know if i have that 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 photograph but some fan hit me with a chair right in the head and it split me wide open oh jesus and I I bled like a stuck pig. I mean, it covered my shirt on my pants. I ended so I ended up at the hospital. They had to sew me up. You know, but that was that. You know, that was. Uh, but you know the yeah the whole thing. Well, you know, I mean, you're still you still got to fight, right? So right. I, I I wasn't really. At that point, I wasn't really afraid, but I, I was a little concerned because you know I'm trying to hold them off, and I'm on crutches, and it's a little hard to do. And 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 one of the fans he grabbed one of my crutches, and so you know I had the other crutch, so I so I had to fight. So, so we had a crutch fight, you know. <laughs> so anyway. But anyway, this other man, he had a chair, and man, he nailed me perfect right on the side Jeez. of the head, and he he split me wide open. And I ended up in the hospital, and they sewed me up. And then after this, after they sewed me up, we we just went out to eat. Then you know, I mean, that was life on the road, you know. But you know, I'm like, uh, and and then, oh. Uh, I can recall this other time, this other riot, when we, what we did, it was in Cloverdale, British Columbia. You know, it it was south of, uh, yeah, Vancouver, and it was a spot show, and the crowd was good, so I got the crowd excited, so they broke into a riot, and I was on the mat and. Three, now this is no exaggeration three guys on each of my legs they grabbed my leg three guys on each leg and they drove me into the, I am I am I am I am facing the other direction right so I'm on my belly and they drive me into the ring post so we're trying to you know we're trying Yeah, they're trying to hurt my balls. You know what I mean? They're trying to kick me in the balls, but I'm on my face. So they dragged me into the. And I realized, and then the other fans, you know, they're coming up. So I realized, I'm in real trouble here. If I don't get, if I don't find a way out of this, I'm going to get really hurt. Right. And you can't believe when that kind of, when that kind of, uh, a, adrenaline when it kicks in well you can't believe what you can do. I I mean it kicked in and I started yelling and screaming and kicking and and I kicked the guys off of each leg and then you know they were on the floor so I jumped I was so pissed off I I jumped on the floor and I was gonna i was set to beat the crap out of all six of those guys but they but they turned around and ran you know it's like, <laughs> like but so you know like i said before you know like a riot can be really 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 fearful it can be really exciting really exhilarating. and that's how i i you know i think i went off
2: the subject there but i'm not sure <laughs> that's all right
0: hey, yeah yeah we, we love the uh t- the side Absolutely. stories
2: Bugsy, I, I want to ask you a, a very profound question, which I'm sure is going to get quite the profound answer. And we were, I mean, it's kind of a segue with what you were just talking about. You know, when, when people go to see wrestling now, the the average fan, they, the, the the words that come to mind are ooh and ah. You know, when when us fans back in the '70s, we had our hearts in our throats. You know, everything was a Frank Barone, holy crap moment. Just like you mentioned. I mean, so like just for my taste, you know, if I want to go see acrobatics. I'll go buy a ticket to see Cirque du Soleil, but I, I'd much rather be booing the bejesus out of Bugsy McGraw because he's beating the crap out of Dominic DiNucci or Pat Barrett. And so I want to like just get your take on the, the difference between wrestling in like 1977 and wrestling in 2023.
1: You're wrestling to a whole different audience. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah well, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because what I can say to that was, When I went to the ring, I wanted to make the people believe that was very important to me because if I can make them believe, I knew I had them, I had them, I could do anything with the people I wanted to. And, you know, when they think you're hurting, you know, like you're working with the baby face and they think that that baby face is in serious trouble and he's getting hurt brother. That's when you can start a riot. So that's. You make them believe, like one time, I don't know, we were in uh, Utah, New York, New York. We used to film in Allentown. I don't know if you know. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Allentown, Allentown. yes, Pennsylvania, right? I remember we're on the TV and I had to work with Pat Barrett. And so, Pat Barrett and I worked very well together. He, you know, like, he knew what I could do, and he knew that, you know, what I would tell guys, you know, I mean, uh, either, uh, if you sell me right, I'll make you look like King Kong. You don't sell me right, I'll make you look like shit. And so that's the way, so I go out and I But he already knew that, because we we. We worked well together. Well, we're on the television. And, you know, back then, I don't know about now, but back then, man, guys, once they got on TV, they didn't want to sell you anything, you know, because they wanted to look strong and all that bull crap. Well, you, man, that's stupid. You want to make the match, not yourself. You want to make the match. So, anyway, I go in there, we're on TV. I'm working with Pat Barrett, and I take heed on him, right? And I am beating the crap out of him, and he's selling me and selling me and selling me. It got so bad that danucci this is a true story. Danucci came out from the dressing room to the ring and told Pat, Pat, you're selling too much. And Pat's, And Pat said to him, don't worry about it. It'll be good. And sure enough, when he made his comeback, I made him look like King Kong personified that crowd went wild and I made him look really good because he did what I told him. I sell me, right? I'll make you look like King Kong. And I did. And Vince was the senior. I was one, I don't know about the other guys, but I think I was one of the very few people that see Vince could watch in the dressing room on the TV. I was one of the very few guys that Vince would walk outside and watch my match. Cause he liked my work, you know, cause I see what it was. You make the match, you make it exciting. You draw people in, you get, I mean, you got them in the palm of your hand and you know, you make them believe and you give them excitement. Oh, uh, hey, you draw money. See what I'm saying?
0: Absolutely. Right. Well, you, you talked about travel. I mean, you wrestled for so many different promoters. Um, I mentioned earlier, you know, winning titles in Vancouver, where Gene Kaneski just kind of lets you take the ball and run with it. Uh, you were in Florida at the time, uh, six um, and almost what I guess he would have been almost sixty year old. Buddy Rogers was primarily concerned with booking himself into the story. Uh, something Dusty was also famous for doing in Florida, uh, doing the same thing as Rogers. That is, um, and of course, he also misbooked the Rock and Roll Express on the house shows uh, when they ended up becoming one of the biggest acts and one of the highest grossing acts of the decade. Uh, and then. I'm, I'm not going to get into too much, but Ole Anderson's reputation as a, as a booker and promoter. Um, so I guess I got to ask, did you have a favorite and least favorite booker and promoter to work for? a
1: uh, booker. <clears throat> least favorite, best, uh, Roy Shire. Well, you know, Roy Shire, you know, he, he, he knew the business. I could say things about him. He was, you know, he was very crude. He was very, uh, what's the word I want to use here? He was like, um, he was not congenial at all with the talent. You know what I mean? He didn't respect the talent. But but otherwise, uh, with the Booker, I didn't care for Ole Anderson. I didn't care for him. Rogers, Rogers was, I didn't trust Rogers at all because I heard a story from Bruno that he told me about Rogers, and Bruno didn't like Rogers a bit. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> if you want to hear a story about Rogers and myself, and yes, um, the Sonny King, you remember him? Oh, yeah. Sonny King, we're, we're in Florida. Okay, so here comes Rogers in to take the book. Eddie Graham brings in Rogers to take the book. Well, you know, I mean, I looked at Rogers and, you know, and the way he talked, the way he acted, he didn't really, you know, he didn't care for me. I could tell that. And the way I viewed him was a snake. So anyway, I'm... <clears throat> um, living with Sonny King. And so I'm talking to Sonny King one time, so one night, you know. We're having a few drinks and so wait a minute. When Rogers came in for Eddie Graham, Eddie told him, <clears throat> You're you're the booker. <coughs> oh, excuse me. You're the booker. You're not to work. You I do not want you working. You're strictly to do the book. And everybody knew it. I mean, we all knew it. That was the rule. Rogers was the booker. He did. He was not supposed to work. Well, Sonny King, you know, well, we used to hang out together a lot because I was living with him. And, and then, yes, so Sonny says, "I, oh, he, hey, you know what? I'm going to get Rogers to work. I looked at Sonny. I said, there is no way you're getting Rogers to work. Eddie Graham told him he can't work. He's not supposed to work. He doesn't want him to work. And all in the Sonny goes, should and see. I'll get Roger to work. And I'm like, well, you're full of crap. Come on, Sonny. He's not gonna do it because he'll lose the job. Well, sure enough, Sonny got <laughs> Roger right started. They were in St. Pete at the Bayfront. And Rogers injected himself in three in three in three um, yes a separate matches. Wow. Yeah uh, and then the his hit after that because Eddie Graham told him, You don't work, you just book. You don't work at all. So that's Rogers. And then after they got rid of Rogers, they brought in um, yes, yeah, it's a dusty roads, but I didn't care for Rogers at all. I didn't trust him because <clears throat> I knew, I knew the other you know, kind of crap that he, was uh, that he was, he was capable of. He would do things to hurt you if, if, if he thought that would help him, that's the kind of guy he was. So, and I, I mean, I didn't trust him at all. Um, I, you know, for a while, there, I, was even, I was even thinking about leaving Florida because of Rogers, you know, because I just didn't like him, didn't trust him. But then, then King he got him to work. I don't know how he did it either. I don't know how he did it. I, I swear I don't. But he got Rogers to go in the ring and Rogers got fired. Nice.
2: <laughs> so,
1: yeah. That's
2: a true story, yeah. Bugsy, I wanted to... So we talked about nicknames before, and and I think you've gotten the short end of the stick because Bulldog Brower was called the One-Man Riot Squad, but there was nobody better than starting a riot than Bugsy McGraw. Triple H was called a cerebral assassin. And like I said before, Bugsy McGraw didn't rent space in people's heads. He he owned it outright. And uh, Johnny Rodge was called Unpredictable. But who is more unpredictable than Bugsy McGraw? So, you know, I said before the shaman of sick power, but and uh, Ron Shaw was the Earl of Upsets, but how does ballistic Bugsy McGraw sound? Ballistic, yeah, that could be. That, could well, be, that, that yeah. would work for you? Or you like the shaman of sick power?
1: Yeah, but, you know, the shaman, you know, that sounds kind of, imp- because, you know, like, for instance, like, you know, we were talking and I said about controlling the crowd. You know, one of the things I used to do was you get in the ring and you, and you know, they ring the bell and I'm and I'm pacing back and forth between the ropes, pace, pace, pacing back and forth. So you ring the bell, I keep on pacing and back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I don't stop, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Back and, forth. and <laughs> And that's when people go, maybe there's something wrong with him.
2: Yeah, I always did. I was like,
1: this guy's crazy. <laughs> and, then, and then all of a sudden, you know, after one or two minutes of this pace back and forth. Now, this is after the bell rang. I would turn and I would face my opponent. And then I would charge him and we would get into it. In other words, I wanted the people to believe that when I made up my mind to do what I had to do, there was going to be a fight. See what I'm saying? Oh, it's yeah. all it's all, it's all your, your psychology. I don't know if I told you about the time before when I went in Houston, Texas when I were wrestled um I said Don Diamond. I don't know if you know him.
2: no, no, no.
1: Ah, uh, he's out of Texas. He's out of Houston. He was, he was never on the top, on the top part of the card. But I knew him in the. But I knew him in the Florida. He wrestled in the Florida. He just, uh, yeah, he wrestled on the openers or, or in the middle. And then he was from the Houston area, I think. Or or yeah, he was from Texas anyway. I don't know if it was Houston, but anyway. So one night they put myself. And he, you know, all in a match. So we're in the ring, and I say, Don, do. I said, Don, just do what I tell you. That's all you got to do? One great match. Well, Don Diamond had some common sense, and I didn't know at the time that this kid had some good psychology and could work that well. So I just tell Don, I said, Don, just do anything I tell you. It'll be good. Trust me. Well, he did trust me. They rang the bell. <clears throat> There's no exaggeration again, none whatsoever. They rang the bell. We did not touch, not even a finger. We didn't touch each other for 10 minutes because they're calling out the time. They're calling out the time. We did not touch for ten minutes. We had the people up out of their chairs, screaming. And you know, I was really surprised because the kid understood that. I mean, I didn't realize that he was that good, but he was. And and without exaggeration, ten minutes we didn't even touch. And people are up out of their chairs, yelling, screaming. They're getting, you know, I mean, they're getting pissed off and everything else. We have. them, and yeah, that's the type of thing that I, I really enjoyed that type of thing. I mean, I truly enjoyed that type of thing. You know, like you make them believe, you take control. You, the wrestler did not pay to see them. That crowd paid to see you take charge. <clears throat>
2: And give them something they'll remember, and 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 give them something that they'll want to come back and see and pay and see again, right? That's it. Exactly, you got it. yeah. Well, going back. Oh, sorry.
0: Go yeah. ahead.
1: No, I was. I got to look at my phone here. I I don't want to lose you on this call. Wait a minute. I'm not that well versed with phones. <laughs> Sometimes I punch the wrong button and oh, okay we're still there right
2: yes sir We got you.
1: okay all right good yeah we're good then okay Go,
0: going back to florida in your book you you talk about wrestling in florida during the 1979 you mentioned uh pretty much the entire year and we were talking a little bit about this before we got to recording uh every show was sold out packed standing room only Full to the ble- full to the risers, as they say. Uh, you mentioned five towns, Orlando, West Palm Beach, Tampa, Miami, Jacksonville. <laughs> so looking at today's crowd, kind of what what Benny was saying with like or, or and what you were saying with the travel, the idea of the traveling carnival and all. How was Eddie Graham able to do something? Like that to sell out the five towns every week over and over again—that a billion-dollar company with an entire creative writing department and a multi-million-dollar marketing campaign can't do today.
1: Well, <clears throat> uh, well, I got to say this for Hetty Graham. I got to say this—he uh, he he worked off of, worked off of uh, a lot of psychology. He, he did. I mean, the guy knew, you know, how to control, you know. I mean, he went into the ring to control the crowd. It, I mean, if you ever saw him work, I, I worked with him a few times, actually. And, um, uh, but also he had, you know, he, when I was there, he never really took over, you know, uh, of the book. When I always there, when I first came in, say 1959, we had Rogers there for about maybe six weeks at the very most, and after that, uh, Dusty Rhodes, and then who came in after that? Uh, I'm not sure. Well, you know, uh, but also there too at towards the end, the uh, like the end of '80 80 and '81, there uh, you know Jody Hamilton, of course, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The assassin. Well, he, uh, yeah, he would help out too. Now he was, you know, he was good. Jody Hamilton was very good, actually. He was a ring general too, and uh, he, and he was a good booker, and he would help out too. He, he was definitely, uh, um, uh, what they say on the short list. You know, I mean, he, he was good. Yeah. So he was one of them, and uh, that was really good. And uh, oh, there's other I don't know him. But Eddie, you know, overall, you could tell that Eddie Graham used a lot of psychology. <clears throat> but he wasn't—he wasn't all that active in the ring, or you know, at the at the office. I mean, he was there. You'd usually, you'd usually see him on, uh, you know, on Tuesday, you know, because uh, that's when we were in Tampa. So he was usually there, and then usually he was off and on. He was there on Wednesday morning. That's when we did the filming at the at the Sportatorium, you know, in you know, Tampa. But uh, no, he... he he wasn't around a whole lot, but he was there off and on. You know what I mean? And but you could tell, you know, that uh, you know he that he was a thinker. He was using, you know, he would use uh, yeah psychology. Yeah. So I think that's one of the reasons that he had success. And uh...
0: quick follow up: the uh, current season of Dark Side of the Ring had an entire episode on Eddie Graham and the Graham family. Did you happen to catch that?
1: No, I never saw that. I never saw I Actually, I never even heard of it. So,
0: Did a good no, job. Good job touching on the uh, tragedies that befell that family.
1: Well, yeah. yeah what, what it was, I mean, look at this. This is like, uh, from what I know of it, Eddie, Graham, Eddie Graham's the father, he committed suicide. Eddie Graham, he committed suicide. Mike Graham's son, he committed suicide. And Mike Graham also committed
2: suicide. Wow. Yep. Wow. Yeah.
1: So, so there's a history there of like suicide you now.
2: Very tragic family. Yeah.
1: Yeah, well, you know, that's like the Von Ericks.
2: I mean, my God. That, I was know, just that's thinking crazy. of the Von Ericks as well, yeah, as far as tragedy. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, that was you know that that was really that was really sad because you know I mean uh, you know the kids because Fritz you know I can tell that Fritz when I was there I could tell it Fritz was hard on his kids and, and I and I hated to see the kids LA, you know and a lot of it's their own fault because they were they were heavy on the drugs. Right. Right. Oh, yes. yeah. Because I remember, like, for instance, Chris, Chris was the younger one. And he when looked, I was the there, small one. Yeah, well, yeah, true. But, uh, when I was there, he was 12 years old. <clears throat> and we're wrestling one time in, uh, <laughs> Uh, 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 Yes, a fort worth, you know, and Chris went up to the concession line to get, you know, some soda, some chips or whatever, but he was so high on drugs that he passed out right in the concession line there. Wow, (laughs) 12 years old. I was there, you know, and so they had to take him up in the, the upper bleachers and they had to let him, you know, you had to sleep it off. Right. (laughs) That was, was, you know, that's, you know, that's wrong. Why, and he, why, why was this kid on drugs? Because of his older brothers. That's why. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They were. I mean, one time I came into a show, we're doing a spot show, uh, we're in Texas there, I don't know, and and we're doing a spot show, and I'm running just a little, just a little late, uh, the show was, the show was a start at eight o'clock, and I came in about roughly 7.30 with my suitcase, and the first person I see as I walk in was, um, yeah. Yeah, Carrie uh, von Eric. And as I walk in he goes, Hey man, yeah, who'd you work with? <laughs> he, he, was, he, he thought I had just wrestled <laughs> oh, I, But I'm just coming into the dressing room to get dressed. Yeah, for my man. He goes, Hey man, yeah, who did you wrestle? Uh, I said wrestle. He go, and then he go, oh yeah, 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 yeah. it's not time yet, is it? Yeah, you know, I mean they they were strung out on drugs a lot. Wow, that's that's
0: sad yeah, in cool. hindsight.
1: Oh yeah, very sad because Fritz had six sons. Six. He's got one left.
0: Yep. Yeah, just uh, Kevin, right? Yeah,
1: Kevin. That's, that's right. Yeah.
0: One of the one of the saddest things I've I've heard when Kevin was was doing an interview and he said I used to have five brothers and now I'm not even a brother. Right. Wow.
1: Yeah. One one time he said he uh, yeah they used uh, Fritz was uh, he was uh, friends with that the promoter up in um, yeah St. Louis. Yes, yeah, so Sam Marchick. Yeah, and he. And I remember one time he had sent he had sent Kevin up there, right? And and Kevin got high, and he got the ring, and he went to drop an elbow on on his opponent. I don't know who that was, but he dropped the elbow. But he missed, and he landed completely on the guy's face, Oof. and you know, really hurt him. So he gets back to Texas and he tells his father, this is a true story. I mean, I, he, he told his father, Oh no, I don't, no, 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 dad. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't on drugs. No, somebody opened the side door over there and the wind blew me over. And I fell on the guy's face. That's what oh, he told geez. his dad. Yeah. That's what he told his dad. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, I thought. If you believe that, boy, do I have some things I want to sell you?
2: Yeah, got some swampland in uh, Central Florida. I can sell you.
1: Yeah, i got some <laughs> great yeah some great land there, about twenty miles uh, twenty miles south of. Um, so, so, Bucks, yeah, yeah
2: I, I, what? The Hall That's of okay. Fame. It, uh, the Hall of Fame is uh, one of my sore spots, the WWE Hall of Fame, because, you know, guys like you are, are, were so much more accomplished than, than so many of the guys that are in there now. You know, guys like Dominic DiNucci and Ivan Koloff, unfortunately, I mean, and, and both of those guys should be in any Hall of Fame. And they went to their graves not being inducted. And I, I just think it's, you know, Vince McMahon Jr., wants to rewrite wrestling history and only pay homage to the, the characters that he created. And so do you have any thoughts on
1: that? Yeah, I will. <clears throat> to be honest and upfront and honest with you, yeah, I I definitely believe that I deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. And uh, I've had others that have also, I mean, they've they've come to me and they've told me of the same thing they they can't understand why i'm not in the hall of fame because of uh you know there's been some uh yeah some individuals that they've you know that they've had in the hall of fame that i didn't think were that great but anyway and so <clears throat> yeah that's 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 the way i view it and, and i've had a few others that you know they told me uh yeah the same thing you know yeah, yeah Okay. Yeah, brother, I I believe you. You belong in all of same, yeah, you know? <clears throat> and you should be. You know? But uh, but there's always a future here.
2: <clears throat> would you would you would you go if they inducted you? Would you accept it?
1: I think I would. Yeah.
2: Okay.
0: Well, Bugsy, another great interview. We appreciate the stories, the insight. I mean, we <clears throat> Betty and I love hearing. Uh, the the tales of the road and the tales from the locker room. So before we let you, before we let you go, um, what is, what is the future hold for Bugsy McGraw?
1: The future? Well, I tell you what, what I have found the most important thing in the world, without a doubt, without reservation, you need to stay close to God. And so I I just honor and I praise my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and I wanna I, I wanna draw closer to Him every day because I I have seen amazing things happen in my life that without Him would have been completely impossible, you know. So and and He and, and He watches over me, and and I know it, and I just wanna. I want to tell you and your listeners that, you know, that he is for real and that if you draw close to God, he will draw close to you. I know it for a fact. Amen.
0: There you you have it, Bugsy McGraw. we, we talked about it last time you were on the show. The book is called Brute Power, the Autobiography of Bugsy McGraw, available on Amazon, anywhere books can be found. Bugsy, thank you so much for your time. Thank and, you, Bugsy. Uh, yeah, anybody out there, you have to go YouTube, uh, go to Amazon, wow. read the book. It's full of great stories. YouTube's some of the great highlights. Uh, I mean, what you can find, unfortunately, not nearly enough footage from that area of wrestling still exists today. But Bugsy, you are without question one of the best, and like Benny and I said, you know, absolutely deserving of the Hall of Fame. If, if there was a, if there was a Dan and Benny Hall of Fame, you'd first be ab- absolutely, <laughs> you'd be first ballot, uh, right, right next to some of the jokes Benny tells. First ballot Hall of Fame, oh, yeah. without I- question. I-
1: Hey, also if you got if you got a few seconds, I besides the book, I have the scrapbook too, and it has it has, has history from uh, 19, 1968 through let me see through eighty three or four. It's got some yeah, it's got some things in there that you can't that you can't find anywhere else in the world. And it's got the programs, it's got the clippings, it's, it's got uh, uh, the articles, it's got the photographs it, it, uh, from all over the world. And so, if you want to buy the, if you want to buy the scrapbook, you'll have, you will really, I really enjoy it. I guarantee you'll enjoy it because it's got all kinds of history there, all kinds of pictures and the programs, you know. That's and great. the news article.
0: yeah absolutely the the scrapbook is the life and times of bugsy mcgraw the scrapbook collection 1968 to 1983. so look for that as well uh like you said the stories the pictures all great stuff
1: yeah yeah it is you know this guy so i i would say if you're a wrestling fan this is something that we that you would really want to have and own Yeah not just because i'm trying to sell it but because there is so much history there that you can't find anywhere else
0: absolutely and and that's the best part that's i mean benny that's why we do the show is to remember the history and absolutely it's it's out there it's great stuff you got to find it bugsy again thank you so much for your time when uh we'll get this edited and uploaded as always we'll make sure you get a copy and and we'll we'll make sure you uh, you know when it goes live and again uh the scrapbooks available 1968 1983 and the bugsy mcgraw book on amazon and anywhere books can be found so again bugsy thank you so much uh for your time and for talking with us this evening and you have yourself a great night
1: well i thank you i it's been a pleasure to speak with you too and every time we speak it's always a pleasure and i'm really really glad that i've had a chance to know you
2: one of these days Bugsy, i'm, I'm going to make a drive down there maybe we maybe can go to lunch
1: yeah yeah absolutely because i'm i'm here i think i'm headed over to that area in the florida where you are this weekend i'm not sure but okay i think i'm going
2: i'm about a half an hour from tampa
0: yeah,
1: I'll, I'll be in Hudson.
0: Uh, okay, I'm I'm 15 minutes from Hudson. Yeah, there you go. For for all these wonderful stories, I think Benny at least owes you a beer. Absolutely, whatever he wants.
1: <laughs> I'll accept. <laughs>
0: well, there You'll, you have it. We'll, we'll even start a riot for old time's sake. <laughs>
1: oh yeah, there we go. For
0: for, for old time for old times' sake, you're you can hit Benny with the bar stool. We'll call it even. No, right, no, no.
1: No, we'll fight yeah. off the bunch. No, we'll fight <laughs> off the drunk. <laughs>
2: I'll do what George said. I'll say Dan Sebastiano said sell. So.
1: <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, It's good to talk with you guys. Really good.
0: Lovely, you have yourself a great evening again. Thank you so much.
1: All right. I'll be talking to you.
0: All right. Take, take care. care. All the best. Yeah, bye-bye. You know, Vinny, we say it every time how we, we feel like we could go on forever, but it's such a unique experience because there's, you know, they always say, and it's funny, he talked about Florida and Eddie Graham because Eddie Graham was one of the ones that said the, the best, the best characters are the real you just turned up a notch or turned up a level. I think Jim Cornette said best wrestlers are the real you turned up to 11. And so here's one of the greatest heels in the business, one of the most the, the best characters of a, a 20 year span of dominance could not be a nicer, kinder man that the, the guy you saw on the ring and in the TV was a hundred and eighty degree difference from the person behind the curtain.
2: Absolutely and we didn't even get into the fact that after he retired, the man became a registered nurse. Yeah. You now that's not an easy profession to you know become a part of and he worked at, believe it, uh, Tampa General Hospital for years. And one of his patients we did which I wish we had would have gotten to ask him was uh, Jack Briscoe. Actually, oh, no. <laughs> he actually uh, took care of Jack Briscoe. So just and, you know, an amazing life the man has lived.
0: Well, and I think it's a testament too to his to his health that you know anybody that knows or, or has been a nurse or any of the medical profession—that's a physically demanding job. Yeah. To go from—I mean, people half his age coming out of the wrestling business that could, didn't have the strength or, or, you know, couldn't bend over and tie their own shoes without pain—he went from from twenty some plus years in the wrestling business to, uh, you know, the medical profession. And and the strain there, the physicality there. It's a, and and even today, you, you see some of the his activities on social media. He's still, I mean, if I had if I was a tenth at that good a shape when I'm his age, I'd consider myself lucky. I think
2: he's pushing eighty, or
0: he's close to yeah.
2: it, seventy eight or so.
0: Yeah. So that's that's great stuff. Well, I mean, we Benny, we uh, we're recording this on a Tuesday. We got a lot of good stuff coming up. Um, if, in the coming weeks and months, and for, for wrestling fans out there, there's a lot of good wrestling. Uh, well, depending, I guess, on your definition of good wrestling, a lot of big wrestling events. I know we just had SummerSlam and, and how much you, you loved that event. Um, the, this uh, AEW just sold a, uh, a set of Wembley sales record for their London show coming up. And that's, I mean good good bad indifferent, love or hate you know when you, and and uh, the WWE just sold I think they said over 90 thousand tickets combined for the two-day Philadelphia event um, so I mean between two two companies you had hundred and eighty thousand tickets almost almost two hundred thousand tickets being sold. so I mean like I said good good bad or indifferent it's always nice to see the business still still kicking out some fans so I'll always say to my dying
2: breath there's no such thing as too much wrestling
0: right. It's always out there. So, I mean, it's it's great stuff. And like I said, we got a lot of good stuff coming down the pipeline. So, as always, a special thank you to our friends on YouTube, Bonnie and the Pharaoh. Of course, Dan and Benny in the Ring can be heard anywhere podcasts can be found. For the Long Island Iced Bee, Benny Scala, I'm Dan Channel. Have a good night, everyone, and we will see you next time we're in the ring.